1: back to that Chelsea podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. And we are back after a long break. Chelsea are back. And how much has really changed? Well, we shall get into that. Joining me on the first podcast of 2023, Mr. Daniel Charles at Son of Chelsea. Daniel, how are we doing on this bank holiday Monday?
0: I'm doing uh, relatively well. Um, I've, you know, had a good Christmas. It was the first kind of proper one family kind of get together since 2019. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of actually relieved now. It's, it's starting to chill down a bit. Um, I know most people may have a little bit of post-Christmas blues and that's not all related to Chelsea. But I'm I, you know, i I'm, I'm sort of bit relieved now it's going to calm down a bit and we can get into 2023 properly.
1: Yeah, yeah. Nice one. As I always do with guests, I get them to give themselves a plug. Daniel, tell people where they can find all your work.
0: Uh, the best place I always say is is just that son of Chelsea on Twitter because that's kind of the hub of all my work. But um, you can find me on my YouTube channel, Son of Chelsea, regular Chelsea content, reviews, previews, news, videos, uh, getting guests on, speaking about the club on a regular basis. You can also get the show now as a as a podcast. So if you just search Son of Chelsea on all your favorite podcast platforms, you will find it there. And uh, yeah, that's really the I think the best place to to find my work. And also but, on TikTok, we, we've yeah. now got we've now ventured into the the realm of TikTok, so you can go on there as well at Santa Chelsea.
1: Yeah, yeah, indeed. If you want all Daniel's content, links will be in the description below. Right, a lot has happened. A lot has happened since the last episode, which was discussing a defeat at Newcastle United. Um yeah, since then Armando Bros has been ruled out for the season. Bafana came back, got injured again. Rhys James came back, got injured again. Uh and chose to play two games of football and played relatively well for played well for a half in one of them, played okay in a half in a second one and played pretty poor in two halves in the other one. Um and we also might be signing some players, and we are we have signed some players, we're closing in on some players. There's a lot to catch up. Daniel, before we get into on the pitch stuff, should we just talk about signings transfers, get that out of the way? Um David Datro Fafana has arrived um from Mulder. He's Ivorian, so naturally we're gonna draw some lazy Erling Haaland and Didier Drupal comparisons because well better to compare one player to to, to another player. Um look, eighteen, low price tag, it, it just seems fair enough, worth it, can't really go wrong with that move, can we? Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's a bit of the you can kind of look at it as the malang Star kind of vibes of I think it's a no-risk deal for Chelsea. But, you know, speaking to people who have watched Fafana over the last few years, there is a real hype and expectation that Chelsea could be getting in there early for a player who could be valued a lot of money in the coming years. And that is the hope. But I guess the the intriguing thing just over the next month is what Chelsea do with Fafana. Do you keep him around, get him integrated, use him as kind of the Amanda Breuer, young raw striker, off-the-bench type option, and then maybe reassess in the summer what you do with him, or do you instantly send him out on loan? Because this is a guy who's played, although he hasn't played since November when the season finished in Norway, he has played, you know, consistently first team football, so you don't want that to stall, do you, in his in his career? But he's another one of these young talents that Chelsea have acquired, and my one concern with it is just that all these players get lost in the shuffle, and there isn't really a, a good enough pathway for them to, to develop with all the players we already have, but let, let's hope right let's be optimistic and and i think the exciting thing about this deal the positive thing from a chelsea perspective is the fee is the fact that you're maybe cutting out the middleman in this situation is is a is a lot of the analysis of this deal is that rather than paying brighton 60 million for david datra for in like two years we pay molder 8 10 million for him now and, and hope that, that value increases as he as he develops
1: yeah yeah indeed uh one other face who is seemingly imminent: Benoit Badoujile, probably my second favorite Benoit after Sir Mister Blanc. Um, look, it's a centre back again. Six and a half year deal, reportedly. Uh, young centre back from Monaco. Thoughts, feelings. Obviously, we you know we probably do not know a huge amount about him because we do not watch Monaco every week, uh, people. But. Look, it's it's I guess it's another one of those young players that sort of Chelsea are just seemingly willing to to you know take take a punt on and, and really invest in.
0: Yeah, I do wonder if uh, Lawrence Stewart, who of course we got from Monaco, is kind of the what is it the global kind of talent? Is his focus with Chelsea? I'm sure it's the kind of the multi club stuff that he's going to be focusing on, but may have some expertise in the player. Just if you isolate it down to the context of the player and his capabilities and, and people who have watched him on a regular basis are very impressed by the player. They they see him as a dominant centre-back. They see him as someone who could only get better with age. And, and that's the positive thing. And that's a bit like when you sign for Fano, right? You're investing in the future. You're investing in a player who, you know, can get better. And that is, people can have a go at Chelsea's transfer you know, approach of, of kind of how chaotic. But if you actually look at the ages of which Chelsea are buying at, it's quite clear what Chelsea's new owners are trying to do. They're not trying to buy 25 and over. They're not signing with these players for the here. And now it's the hope that they're buying players. You couldn't accuse them of splashing money on players who, again, in two to three years' time are going to become really good. I mean, Badi Sheila, you know, I think that you know, in terms of his profile, in terms of what he's done, it's not the same as Fafana. I, I think he'll come in instantly and compete for first team minutes. That is the expectation. And if we are moving to a back two system uh, rather than a back three, then maybe there, there's an eye to that as well. You when know, I wanting to play in a back four and that, I think leads itself into what you do in central midfield as well. And what I have heard from people who have watched him regularly is that there's actually a little bit of uh, frustration in France that he wasn't taken to the World Cup. Um, and he was kind of left out compared to, say, Umpa Meccano, who, I mean, had a very dodgy World Cup and you kind of look at and maybe the, the internal politics in in the French squad and who gets selected and who's not, it's kind of left him at home. So uh, maybe you've got a, an upcoming French international there who could, you know, become a big player for his nation as well. And you think about the connections within the squad with uh, Wesley Favana, you know, that could be huge as well in the coming years. That could be a, a back two at Chelsea in years to come. So, we'll see how it goes. It did come out of the blue and I was kind of a bit like, like you in the sense that it came out on new year, um, not new year's Eve, Christmas Eve. And uh, I was just starting to kind of get into the festive mood and, and shut off work. And I was just like, I'll deal with this next week. So at least Chelsea have got the deal over well the line and there was no chaos on that. Well, we wait for it to be announced, but we, we hope he turns out to be a decent player for the second half of the season and beyond.
1: Yeah. Let's just hope he's a better player of a previous one. We bought from Monaco again. Uh, <laughs> And then I guess finally, Enzo Fernandes. Now, Daniel, this man was kind of, he's been the talk of the town, not just, you know, while the World Cup was going on, but probably since the start of the season. He has only played 14 games in the Portuguese league, as well as five in the actual Champions League group stages. And he's got, I think, a handful of Argentine caps. And yet there's a lot of money talked about being, you know, splashed on him. Thoughts, feelings, because it is, it does seem quite a big, again, another big punter gun talks about Chelsea just wins, say, we'll just pay over, we'll just sort of get the deal, you're done, we want him, and it does seem a bit of a risk, but at the same time, Chelsea have essentially neglected midfield for, for what, for, for half a decade at least, the last signing was, was the making, a loan signing in Mateo Kopic, a permanent one, the last meaningful one, and the last two summer windows, the midfield has sort of been a, oh yeah, okay, we can maybe get someone, an after in getting Soula and uh, uh, Dennis Zakaria, so, Obviously, the price tag will, will scare people, and there's, there's quite a lot for a fairly small sample size of, uh, of actual games. But just what your main thoughts feelings on Chelsea actually pro, actually making a sort of proactive move to addressing an area of the pitch that we have cried out for a long time that needs addressing?
0: Yeah, when you think that over £300 million has been spent in an attack that really hasn't improved since 2019, I don't think people can be squeamish about money being spent in in the area that, as you've just explained should have been invested in a long time ago. Uh, I think it's been overdue for so long. And and I, I've said this before, you know, uh, some people were like, oh, we'll wait till the summer for someone. And, uh, we have waited so long. This club has waited so long to invest properly in central midfield. And, and as I'm sure we'll get to in reviewing the, the game since we returned to the Premier League, um, again, you see the limitations in that area. You know, Enzo Fernandez. I don't think is the, is the exact profile that Chelsea have been missing, but from a technical point of view, from a, quality of passing type of view when people once again you you lean on people who do watch him on a regular basis I'm sure for most of us our first proper look at him was actually at the World Cup of Argentina which you know was a good one because he scored a brilliant goal when he was involved in a in a winning campaign for his nation which was dramatic you know as you said he was a name that I heard earlier in the year I think maybe even before he made the move to Benfica and what an incredible piece of business it is from Benfica's point you know they they paid under I think 20 million for him in the summer from River Plate and they're, they're guaranteed a huge huge profit on him if he goes this month or goes of course in the summer so and the one thing I would say from people you know again reporting on this is I think David Onstein was bringing this up and I've heard it from other people too is that Chelsea aren't just going to pay silly silly money just like that and they're they're guaranteed to it they're gonna they want it to be on their terms. They want it to even if they are paying over the release clause. And there also is a thing of if you look at the Premier League table currently and you look at where Chelsea could be in in, in European context next season, I think there is maybe a feeling that Chelsea want to go out there and make these deals happen now when they can still offer Champions League football rather than wait to the summer where maybe Chelsea don't have Champions League football to offer and they're competing against European rivals. So you've got Christopher Nkunku, you've got uh, Badia Shile, we've, you know, there's a hope that Enzo Fernandez comes in. You're kind of uh, front-loading a lot of this investment now. So then you bring these players in and, you know, the hope is that in a year or two time, you know, Chelsea in a in a much better place. And Enzo Fernandez, I think, is only half of the midfield equation in terms of investment in my point of view. You know, I think in the summer there is another player I'd like Chelsea to sign. But it, it's very exciting. And, and you know, once again, I think expected Chelsea, who I know watches a lot of football and, you know, cannot speak highly enough of, of Enzo Fernandez in terms of, like, quality of midfielder, in terms of quality of passing, what he could offer to Chelsea. You know, hearing comparisons to, say, Cesc Fabregas is obviously very exciting. And I hope it gets done. I really do, because... No area in this squad has needed more investment and and needed a refresh more than central midfield and I, and I think that that's just so obvious, so blindingly obvious, and it has been since 2019. So, hope hopefully it gets done.
1: Yeah, yeah, and who knows by the next episode maybe it will all be done, but we'll kind of leave sort of transfer talk there. Um, there's obviously been talks of, of can Chelsea potentially making progress on on a Cante deal. Dan, we'll just quickly talk about that. Obviously, you know, with bringing Enzo Fernandez in, that would be the start of, of, of a midfield rebuild. N'Golo Kante, essentially, he's played two games of football for Chelsea uh, this season. Talk of a contract, just thoughts, feelings on it, because it, it does feel like we love to Kante. When he is fit and when he's there, he is Chelsea's best midfielder. The question is, how often is he actually going to be fit and how do you make it worth just your thoughts on, on the talks when we did here the other day, but Chelsea were potentially making some breakthroughs in actually maybe, you know, getting Kante to, to sign a new deal.
0: I was a little bit surprised that, you know, it sort of came out of the blue and you know, it it might, it might may go in that direction because I think most of us anticipated that you could have a situation like we had with Rudiger and Christiansen last season where both of them leave for free with Jorginho with leaving as well. My thing with Kante is like you know, I love Kante. I think, you know, one of Chelsea's greatest ever signings, his injury problems in recent years do not, you know, hurt that legacy. That legacy is there and he's going to be there forever. But my point on Kante, and people seem to get really offended by this because it's like you're insulting his legacy or quality on the pitch. Like no one logical can deny what Kante at his best when he's fit can do on a pitch. There's, There's very few midfielders who offer that, but... If he's missing over half of your games a season, I don't, you know, you can't refer to him as a key player. You cannot build a key vital area of your of your squad of your team around him. And that's why Chelsea need to invest in other players. We can keep Kante around if, if that's feasible. Great. What an amazing option to have. And and then the strain on keeping him fit lessens dramatically if you've got one or two other players that you've invested in that you can go, okay, those are gonna be the players, those linchpin players that And not only for now, but the future, who are going to play 90 to 95% of our games. And then Kante can come in. And as we know, even at this age, if he can offer us five amazing games of the season, those five games could be defining, as you saw in the Champions League run, for instance. So I'm happy on that front, I guess, you know, um, but I just, I I, I keep on saying I, I don't, Kante is not, for me, a key player anymore. I just don't, you, you know, and I think you have to be clinical. You have to be brutal about these things. You know, there, there is a point when, when great players have to move on and you have to look towards the future. And that isn't disrespecting what Kante could still offer. It's just the evidence in front of me continually says, this guy is not staying fit for most of the season. And in the case of this season, I mean, I'd be stunned if he plays over 20 games for Chelsea. I really would, because he's not going to be back till where it. it's the... The return date has gone from like weeks with Tuchel when Tuchel was still here, to months, to surgery, to February, to now March. I mean, would you be surprised in like a week or two we hear it's gone to April? And then you're really getting into a territory where he's barely played at all this season. And are those injury problems going to get any better? As well, you, you factor in the strain of, say, international football, where I'm pretty sure France will want to go again in in the next Euros. And I'm sure that Didier Deschamps will want to have Ingolo Kante ready.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And also, who knows what Chelsea season will look like in March or April time, if that's when he's back then. How much is it worth actually playing him, if there is an eye to, to keep him him around for the future? Yeah, we'll kind of leave that there. And we'll, we'll move on to football. We'll start on a happier note. Daniel Bournemouth, a team that we have, surprisingly, have a very poor record against. They'd actually won more games at Stamford Bridge uh, against us than we had against them prior to, to, to the game on the 27th. With a caveat of it's Bournemouth. They were very, very open. That was actually, specifically the first half, because actually, you know, we'll get into the second half. Either. That first half, Chelsea, probably for the first time in a long time, looked like a top four side, looked like a side playing well. The right side with, with Reese James and Stone was linking up well. We were creating opportunities. We were moving the ball pretty quickly. We were creating chances for fun. That first half, just nice age, just thoughts, on on that first half forms, and particularly, you know, those attackers who... We criticize, and we will probably criticize uh, later on in the Nottingham Forest game, which just, for some means on seeing a 45 minutes of quite nice football, albeit with the caveat of it is lowly Bournemouth.
0: Yeah, I feel like the the tension before that game—you know—it was so important that Chelsea won that game, and I'd say won it well. But you know, Chelsea needed to respond because I—I, I, social media isn't a great barometer, as we know, for for sort of fan sentiment once you get inside the ground, but. You know, I did get a feeling just being inside Stanford Bridge before the World Cup that you know things aren't going well at the moment and the mood isn't great. And you know, there kind of is that feeling that I was I was very concerned if Chelsea were say one 0 down in that game and and to see what what would happen. So to respond in that manner, I think Potter got his tactics spot on. I think the profiles of the players in the formation was was really good. I liked the fact that we played so wide as well. You know, two natural wingers playing basically on a touchline. The way we progressed the ball from, from deep was really impressive. I think Kepa has played a massive part in that, actually, since he's come in in October. Uh, under Graham Potter, is kind of that third centre-back at times in possession. Uh, Thiago Silva could play on one leg and still be Chelsea's best player. That's, you know, not much of a surprise. And, you know, Rhys James in that first half, you were seeing, we know his quality, but also the way he was kind of moving into an inward, inside kind of position um, from that right-back role and kind of allowing Chelsea to have another man in midfield um Denis Zakaria I thought was a bit of a revelation on the night you know the way he, as an eight he was playing Kai Havertz I think had one of his best Chelsea performances in a in a very long time Raheem Sterling and Kai Havertz I think linked up well Christian Pulisic too I mean you went through the whole team and they were really good um I felt that some of the, the goals that were scored and also the chances that created were they were things that you could see be repeated on a regular basis. They, these weren't freakish goals. They were team goals. They were patterns that you were encouraged by the way we were, as I say, moving the ball quite swiftly. And I think a lot of that, yeah, comes from Rhys James being on the pitch, because as a wide outlet that Chelsea have, a lot of the time, if you you know when that ball goes into Rhys James, he's able to hold it. Lay it off, and then and also the threat of an opposite. You know, if if you're an opposing team coming up against Chelsea, and you've got you've got to confront Reece James, and you've got to get past him as an attacker, but then you've also got to defend against him. It creates so many big problems, and I think naturally, even if Reece James isn't involved per se on like moves, it's a bit like having you know, an Erling Haaland or, you know, a a clean Mbappe. I think it kind of takes players away. I think teams are so concerned about Reese James that it probably creates space for other players. And I think Chelsea exploited it well. And we scored two brilliant goals. I mean, the first one is just a great team goal, exactly where you want to see Kai Havertz inside the box, um, continuing a good goal-scoring record recently. And the second one was just a sublime finish from Mason Mount, who really needed that. So, yeah, I mean, for about 50 minutes, Chelsea were playing really well. Um yeah, And I think there are real signs of, OK, this is where Chelsea could be moving into in the second half of the season. But then, of course, it as it has done so regularly over the past year, an injury to a very key player sort of deteriorates the, the mood and, and the sort of the moment, momentum of the game. And Chelsea haven't really recovered it since.
1: Yeah, no, indeed. Mason Mount getting his first goal at Southbridge in over a year, I believe, uh, that goal against Bournemouth. And say, a nice, see, calm score sheet. And yeah, in general, that first 45 minutes had us feeling good. Then I guess the reason why I say that first 45, because you mentioned Reese gets injured within five minutes of the second half. And as good as that sort of performance was the first, I do think better teams than us, and we will see better teams last season, probably put four or five in that situation past Bournemouth. And Chelsea kind of, especially with Reese going off, kind of just lost all momentum a bit. We got sloppy. We probably just, you know, just decided, we just tried to sort of cruise through the game a bit. And it did allow Bournemouth back into the game a little bit. They created some chances, but at the same time, it's one of those games where... I don't know what it was like for you you being in ground, but I never felt scared or worried watching that you know, watching them attack. I never thought they were gonna score. I was just a bit frustrated seeing the the way we'd started first up, just sort of how much we dropped off. And it was almost depressingly depressing how it just coincided straight away with losing Rhys James to injury and how we just kind of just stopped playing football. And I guess question of I've actually asked this question to to mate, is can you remember a Chelsea, a, a Chelsea side more reliant on one player? What what Chelsea side is more reliant on one player? This Chelsea side with Reece James, or Chelsea with Eden Hazard under sort of in 18-19 under Maurizio sorry at points because it is genuinely feel like you take Reece James out, just all confidence of Chelsea winning a game just goes. I mean, that second half we were we were pretty we were pretty average, and I do think a better team probably actually maybe scores in that second half, puts us under pressure in it, and it's a bit of a nervy finish. And we never really recovered, you know, from that. We never really got started in the next game against Forest, which we'll get into. But just that second half was just quite frustrating. Just Forest things. again. Reese, he's come back and he's injured for a month, and you again go ask question: How do we actually manage Reece James? Like from this point on, because he's missing a lot of football, and it's going to get to a point where we've seen how important he is. It's going to be to the detriment of of not just not just him and his career moving forward, but also just us, just in the immediate, like in the short term, and then eventually longer term as well.
0: Yeah, it sadly is turning into kind of a different Ingolo Kante situation. You know, we, you know, in, in obviously a different area with a player of huge potential and, and we hope a lot of years ahead in his career. But it, it is a concern. And as, you know, as we saw against Nottingham Forest, you know, we sit here and wonder why Chelsea are lacking invention and rhythm. And then you realize, oh, yeah, it's just it's because Reese James isn't playing. And it is a concern. And it, you know, Chelsea are very lucky they have Rhys James, but I think it's a problem of, of profile once again of, of what Chelsea have lacked in recent years is is having comparative players. I know Mark Cucurea has got a lot of criticism, but I still do think are and Chirwell is a nicer pairing kind of balance than on the other side, where it's Reese James and says Rasbalaqueta. I just, you know, I, and as I say, I know people have rubbish Cucurea already, but, you know, I think that that player just works a lot better. You know, I feel a lot more comfortable and I think Chelsea are still able to, in some ways, keep up a level of rhythm. The problem is on the other side, it's just so dramatically different that uh, I think it really limits what Chelsea can do. And I think it very much, it's, it's as we've seen in central midfield, when you don't have a proper player who's going to, whether it's Kante not being fit or you just don't have a proper player to kind of hold things together in central midfield, I think you're forced to play more, reactively unfortunately and I think in this month it's not just central midfield it's also a right-sided option in my opinion it's someone who can compete with Rhys James Uh, you you would have to spend silly money to get someone like Rhys James and and there are very few players like him it's just that sense of the lack of speed and the lack of options on that area and and the way Chelsea's uh, can, can become so one paced when they don't have him on that side I mean we saw I guess it's not in your forest kind of jumping ahead. When you got Hakim Ziyash on that side, especially in better form, okay, you have kind of got more creativity, obviously, on that side. But going back the other way, defensively, as we saw again, you there is a risk you play when you've got Koulibaly, Thiago Tiago Silva, and Aspalaqueta in a back four. Three of that four are not particularly pacey. So and as well, you've got Jorginho as as the six. So again, it we saw it with Tuchel. Tuchel very much went just back to I can't take many risks and I, and I understood for a lot of the time why he couldn't because he didn't have faith and could see how Chelsea could be exploited as we've already seen so far this season. And we saw against Bournemouth in the second half. So it's a massive, massive problem. And I think the bigger concern, the wider concern is no matter who you bring in, you want Reece James still to be that first choice player in the years to come. We've handed him a six year deal. What if these injury problems persist? I think that's the massive concern, isn't it? Can he get past these problems in in the early stage of his career? Because if he can, I think Chelsea have got an astonishing player there. I really do. And I think the shame of it is, I felt that if he stayed fit for the majority of the season, he will win Chelsea's player of the season, hands down. Maybe he still can if he he has a really strong second half of the season, but it feels at the moment too fragile at the moment to, to rely on a player who goes down that consistently. I'm Alex
1: Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. Yeah, yeah, indeed. We'll move on to Nottingham Forest. It was a landmark game for Cesar as he became Chelsea's leading overseas appearance maker with 495 games. Daniel, he is kind of someone I want to talk about. We'll get on to the game though itself first. That was just pretty dull and uninspiring. Um, we go ahead. You know, a pretty lucky goal, but in, both, in these sort of games uh, at Nottingham Forest, a side who had, you know, had recently good home record. They've obviously recently beaten Liverpool there. They've knocked Spurs out the Carabao Cup, so they're in a little bit of form. You kind of, sometimes in these games, just need a bit of luck. Go ahead. Raheem Stone gets goal. But it just felt from our point on, we kind of just stopped playing. And it's just, I, it's not just, and it's not a Chelsea thing we've just seen. This season It's a Chelsea thing we've seen for a long time. Chelsea are in games. Go ahead. And they stop playing. And they invite pressure on, and I don't. And, and when you hear Jamie Carragher, and I don't think this is the most groundbreaking analysis. A one-lab saying Chelsea kind of sleepwalking into a poor result here, but it was kind of that apparent and that kind of obvious. And then nothing really changed. Then you know, we kind of see the old usual of oh, it's one on 10, ten fifteen minutes to go, Let's actually get try try do something now. Hakim Ziyech whips in across, you know, uh, which you know I think Piusic just just head wide, uh, just gets past Aubameyang, et etc. But it was just one of those typical frustrating games. And it caused a lot of frustration, a lot of, you know, upset on social media. And as we go, social, as we said, the start of social media Not not the barometer to measure. But to me, as someone who was actually, you know, when we lost those three games in a row, was pretty calm about it, going for other, well, Arsenal were top of the league. Newcastle are flying right now. They're having a great season. And Brighton are a side we notoriously struggle against, et cetera. Those were kind of understandable, especially also given some of the injuries we had. But this one, and I know I mentioned I mentioned the start of, the of the Forest in relatively good form, at home right now, but that probably felt to me like the lowest point under Potter so far, which maybe seems a bit odd to people, seeing it was a draw and not a loss, and we've lost, you know, we've lost badly at Brighton, etc. But that just felt really bad because we got outplayed and we're pretty lucky to get a point against a side who, who would get relegated. Now, I, I mean, I'm not saying it's as bad yet. But I, I imagine if we were potentially further on in the season, that could the toxicity could have maybe reached, you know, sorry levels at Cardiff City a few years ago. It did kind of feel pretty pretty bad and pretty low. And after getting an important win against Bournemouth, any sort of momentum we had was just lost. And we can and, it, and it's not just the fact that we've lost sort of any momentum. It's the fact that you look at who we've got next, two games against Manchester City in League and Cup, and there's a very realistic opportunity. We could, you know, fall further behind. We could fall uh, to maybe ninth or whatever in the league, and we could be out of the FA Cup in January. We could be all out of all domestic cups. And all of a sudden, again, this this talks this negative feeling that, you know, had was festering, you know, to, uh, just before the World Cup side so was kind of here is not really looking like going away. There's quite a lot there in what I've just said, but just forcing that did kind of feel just a really kind of low, low point. And it did feel one of those where I can't really defend anything I've seen today, I can't really try and make excuses for it because Chelsea should be beating Nottingham Forest. I know they don't have a, a god given right to beat Nottingham Forest that's a game that they really should be winning despite you know whatever situation Chelsea find themselves in
0: yeah so I kind of flipped back to to three years ago 2020 the 1st of Jan when you know Chelsea were away from home against Brighton and we went 1-0 up early and then the game the momentum of the game shifted we eventually drew that game 1-1 some good station keeper, reza Belaga made sure we only we got a point away from from home that day it is a problem that I think a lot of Chelsea fans may be feeling at the moment is that feeling of repetition. And, and as well, the difference is this year, there is a real fear that Chelsea aren't going to recover. You know, they're not going to be able to get into the top four, like we have in recent years, despite the frustrations and those, those things that do feel quite familiar. But, you know, as much as we can all sit here and and sort of joke and kind of be frustrated about the fact of how similar a groundhog day, everything feels Graham Potter the players have to have to change that you know it's in their control to change those things and I I kind of feel that the the criticism of Graham Potter I don't know if there's something you, you were going to focus on later but I've seen a lot of the criticism of Graham Potter is is kind of his demeanor on the touchline and kind of his, the way he acts in pre and post match you know press conferences and what he says in interviews now I think that's a little bit overblown I really do um a because if you've watched him throughout his career, this is always the way he's acted. So to expect him to change radically is, I know, a little bit unrealistic. And and B, I also think it's a little bit overblown. I really do. And and I don't know how much weight it actually is. I give to it because it seems like to me, people just want Graham Potter to say things they want to hear and just be more animated on a touchline. And it's like, again, I come back to the Groundhog Day thing of, of, Antonio Conte, extremely charismatic personality on the touchline, and yeah, did win Chelsea a Premier League, but we watched some terrible performances under him. Thomas Tuchel as well was one of the best speakers we've ever heard in public regarding Chelsea. But again, we saw some dreadful performances. I I don't know how much weight I put into that. I think that is very much a fan thing of we want to see someone on the touchline, you know, rallying up the crowd, and it is a nice thing, and, and maybe he will develop into that. But I... For me, I look more at tactical things. I look at the fact that as a coach, he surely could have seen the game turning even before half time. You know, there were threats before half time that Chelsea were going to be in danger of, of conceding a goal. And the fact he waited so long to change things is, I think, my biggest criticism uh, yesterday. But I understand by people who are of that feeling that, you know, he isn't very interesting and, you know, captivating in, in press conferences. All of the things that I could have told you when he got appointed that were going to be criticisms, even with the early wins he got, it was so obvious what people were going to pick up on when things started to go wrong. It was, you know, his demeanor, his lack of trophies, his lack of silverware. Is he out of depth, you know, out of his depth, all that stuff. Um, But for me, yesterday, it was kind of a a dual thing of of his inability to change things when it was quite clear that second half, things weren't going well. The momentum was changing. Chelsea needed to act quickly, to, to to wrestle back some control it was forest to assume that forest were just going to deteriorate and to just go well eventually chelsea with the quality of players will get it back you know that that's not the way the game played out um and that's credit to, to steve cooper and credit to the night and forest players to, to really go at chelsea but things need to be changed and also the mentality of the players is, is for me the biggest concern i mean this season the, the lack of it sounds very basic but fight just resistance to problems you know has been just and and coming back from adversity is just something this group of chelsea players just fail at so often it's just it's it's really concerning to me because chelsea are in a difficult point and those group of players and and the coaches in a difficult moment because in some ways and i hate to, to sound like this because i know people won't like to hear it but Yeah, it feels like the world is against them. You know, it feels like, you know, the the fans don't believe in them. Like a lot of fans don't believe they're good enough. You need a sense of spirit. You need a sense of togetherness. You need to prove people wrong. And I, I don't feel with these group of players, they have it within them. And I don't want to hear that there isn't enough quality because I think there is. Now, there isn't enough quality to win a Premier League, I don't think, within this squad, but there is enough quality to do a lot better than they're currently doing. And, you know, how many of us hand on heart can say, this group of players is going to prove all of us wrong by the time we reach May, I, you know, as much as I want to be optimistic and, and positive and not, you know, b- become nihilism FC, I, I, I struggle to see where the evidence is that this group of players can, can go on a run of really good performances can stay unbeaten. The problem is at the moment you could see Chelsea winning two or three games maybe, but the, the form tells you since October that it's gone downhill drastically and there's very little evidence of identity, of of courage, of, of the sense of bravery that maybe was there at the early time with Potter. But it's it's really gone back to what we saw under Tucker in the first six or seven games.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the most damning things yesterday was Jimmy Carrigan describing Chelsea as soft. And when he was, comp- and, you know, then him comparing, you know, to the teams he played against. And I know it's, you know, different, different generations, et cetera, and football moves on, et cetera. But that was... Pretty damning. And yeah, after winning their first three Premier League games under Grand Potter, Chelsea have only won one of the last seven, drawn three, lost three, and none of their last four on the road, drawn two, lost two. And with 25 points from 16 Premier League matches this season, seven wins, four draws and five losses, it's their fewest at this stage since the 2015-16 campaign when they finished 10th. It just does feel quite low. And Daniel, you made, you made a point of part, honestly. And again, I don't think it's perhaps surprising that two managers in recent history who have kind of perhaps lack the personality, you know, we kind of think of the big characters. And maybe two people have actually, you know, found issues or, you know, have been ones where fans have fans have maybe lost trust in or or doubted a lot quicker. And obviously someone like Maurizio Sari and, and now Graham Potter. Now obviously I would imagine if we move that online, I would potentially imagine the split in terms of those who do it would be very different. And those who who are who are criticizing uh, Potter for one thing would have been those same ones who were defending Sorry for, for for the same thing, but, but that's not really the point here. But I do think it's one of those things. Personality does play a big part because it seems stupid to say what a Chelsea manager is, given we've had so many of them. But when we think of Chelsea managers, we do think a lot of them had had a personality and were you know you could you could quote them on on some things, you know. And and Graham Potter probably the only thing you can quote him on is the boys gave it all, gave it their all today, which is sort of becoming a bit of a meme and a and a rod to just bash him with any time we we don't win a game. Um, so it, it is tough, tough with Potter, and we probably have can have a more uh frank discussion on him a bit later. But Daniel, I kind of mentioned at the start, Aspequeira made his 495th appearance, become the most for an overseas player. Great achievement for him, but it did also just feel watching my game a sign of what happens when you probably keep players on for too long and the consequences of doing that. Because obviously, you mentioned Reese James is out injured. But by keeping someone like Cesar Spilacueta at the start of the season, as well as then having Ruben Loftcheek, cheek there was kind of the idea for but Chelsea have got cover at that right-wing-back role. Ruben Loftcheek cheek can play a role there. Cesar Spilacueta can do a role there. And they can maybe do, do a role for a little bit, but you don't want them having to play any sort of meaningful full games. I think it kind of just summed up sort the current state we find as as yesterday. There's a Nottingham Forest counter-attack, and as Spilacueta sort of tries to stick out a trailing leg, he, the ball gets past him. And then we kind of get away, with, I think because Thiago Silva's positioning in the end is brilliant and forces uh, Gibbs White to to take a shot instead of instead of crossing, it just sort of just feels like. And you mentioned it earlier, just the con- like you go from Reese James to for Credit, it's not the same as going for you know going in between Chil and Kakura. There is a clear difference, and there is a clear drop. And it just does feel that Chelsea are paying the price for just not moving players on, perhaps when they shouldn't. Perhaps since And we can obviously then question who's out to blame because I mean. Thomas Tuchel kind of really did want Cesar Azpilicueta to stick around. And again, it was sort of understandable. He was losing Tony Rudiger. He was losing one of his big leaders in the summer. And to lose another might have been a blow. But it is one of those things where perhaps Chelsea, you know, have not been as ruthless as they should be. And we talked earlier about Kante and getting a new deal. Well, how much is he? If he doesn't play a certain amount of games, he can no longer be a key player. Why are you kind of keeping around? Type thing. it does almost feel the same with Azpilicueta that the longer he plays, you don't want to say tarnishes his legacy because I don't think it's possible for him to tarnish his legacy. He's won it all. He's captain Chelsea to great trophies, but it is kind of sad to see that we are almost, almost kind of going down the Branislav Ivanovic route again with, with a fullback of just a player who basically is playing way past, you know, the, the role they should be playing, and it just kind of shows that maybe if so, if we had moved Cesar's for credit on in some, we could have maybe then gone and targeted, you know, that right back. But you know, it's going to be one of those positions that we next desperately need.
0: Yeah, it's just so obvious to me. And it was so obvious at the back end of last season that uh, it was time for us to move on. It was, I I just, I was just baffled. I've got to be honest. I mean, the argument I think you can make in defense of doing it was the upheaval, the chaos, those big personalities leaving the dressing room. But I think from a performance, I think in terms of like the balancing act between character and kind of Ability to understand the club. Yeah, sure. Aspilicueta knows the club probably better than any of the players currently at Chelsea, or or at least from a senior perspective compared to like the Academy ones, because, you know, he's been at the club for so long, but again, it's just, there is a point at Chelsea where, and it's been a real problem of just knowing when to let players go is, I think has been something you can really criticize about Chelsea. They've kept players on for too long and, you know, Aspiliqueira. Rather, it, it, there's a very specific time you play Aspiliqueira now, and a position you play him in. And then I think it's right centre back when Chelsea are defending deep. I think that that's it now for Aspiliqueira, and that's a problem for me because it's a it's a, a limitation. It's not it's something Chelsea shouldn't be using for me if we want to become a more progressive team. And yeah, that, that's kind of just my end point with Aspiliqueira. It's just it's just bizarre to me how you would like to think someone in the club has noticed that his performance levels haven't been good for quite a while now. Chelsea are now being exploited on that side when they don't have Rhys James available. And, you know, when you look at players, like say Dion Rankin coming through the academy or even like Dujon Sterling, who we let go on loan. I mean, I, I mean, maybe I'm being naive. I, I just, I, I, I would have preferred to maybe see them stick around and, and give them a, a chance to deputize Rhys James. Cause I just, Again, it's about profile. It's about looking at this current squad and seeing where things are good and seeing where things are bad. And just too many games I watch by Chelsea because of injury mainly, but where I'm watching Aspilicueta and everything again is just so one paced. And it's not that he can't have any good performances for Chelsea anymore. Um, but I remember criticizing Aspilicueta and saying that I felt it was the right time for him to move on like this time last year. And then people were sending me like screenshots of him scoring against... Um, Plymouth and I'm like him scoring against a league one team in the FA Cup is not proof that he's a he's a mainstay player for Chelsea anymore like that's
1: that's probably the caliber of game he should be playing in if he's still around yeah it's
0: it that's the thing it's like it's not that's the people have got to look at the evidence in front of them and the evidence in front in front of them is a player who was a great player for Chelsea and and is a player that again a bit like Kante. You can appreciate what he's done for the club, but there has to be a point where we have a more serious discussion about what's actually happening in front of us right now. And and maybe as well, you, you look at the frustration against Forrest where Chelsea can't maintain things over a long period of time. That's probably the reason because if Chelsea keep on pushing up in that game, Koulibaly had a really difficult game um as as well, I think that was just that was a preliminary that Forrest targeted so well and Chelsea just got exploited so as much as we want the team to go at Forrest again, its limitations within the squad is if you do that, the risk is with a pacey attack not the best attack in the Premier League by any means how much they can be exposed so until that's sorted, Chelsea are gonna uh, really be in 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 a, in a lot of issues in terms of in terms of progressing and and part of that is saying goodbye to players and I just I think next summer this upcoming summer has to be the window where we say goodbye to I really do uh because as you said Ivan it's it's coming of an Ivanovic situation and it was last year and it's just bizarre to me that we kept him on I've just got to be honest
1: yeah yeah indeed I do want to focus on one well obviously usual Tiago Silva excellent probably best player on the pitch but I talk about him so often, I'm not really going to focus on him. There is one player I want to, but that right? two starts. Two, you know, pretty solid games. I thought second half he dropped off a bit against Bournemouth. But I thought against Forrest, he was good. And it's simple, but you kind of just see the reaction, even like when he gets stuck into someone, when he squares up to someone. People, you know, that's something we lack. That's something people, and people, like, they root for him. to go, that's what we want to see. And in general, I thought, he, you know, it's not just that was good, his, his general game was actually, was pretty good. Obviously, Matej Kovacic, you know, come back from the World Cup, he's played limited, you know, football obviously kind of managing, we seem like an, a knee injury, et cetera, no Kante. Obviously, you know, hope we'll see if Enzo Fernandez arrives in January, et cetera, but, but I guess in this sort of bleak position, we find, I guess, how encouraging is it that we see Dennis Zakaria performing well, but then also, do we then question his absence, you know, prior to 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 Zagreb, because he was nowhere to be seen, and ultimately did not seem to be a part of, of any plans. And now all of a sudden, mm. he's he's thrown in. And, and does that also just then go to to a larger point of, you know, not just Potter but just kind of this confused thinking and not really knowing what to do with with all these players we've got.
0: Yeah, see, when you actually look at the performances of of Zachary, you know, when yeah, it was becoming kind of a joke thing where it was like, you know, even Sal got minutes. You know, you were like, and and. and maybe his reputation was getting better. You know, he was, and and you, I remember after the Zagreb game thinking that may just be it for his Chelsea career and he can leave on a high, you know, just one that we always have that night in in, against Zagreb, but he's become a bit of a, a revelation. Like he's not, you don't want to over egg it and say he's been outstanding, but I think it shows that problem in central midfield of just very basic things, physical things that Chelsea have lacked for several years of just players who can cover ground quite quickly who can track back quite quickly as well, who can offer something as well, moving the ball forward. And that bit of physicality and aggression that people don't like. There's a lot of people in recent years, uh, particularly with the type of players Chelsea, Banning search and midfield, have tried to make out the physicality in the Premier League and, and saying that phys- physicality matters in the Premier League is some kind of backwards way of thinking. Like, no, it's not. It's just the reality of the situation. And you need players, even the best technical midfields in the Premier League, like Man City, have that within them. They have, and, and Liverpool have proved it in recent years too that you have to have players in central midfield who can do both who can be good on the ball technically but also have to have a level of durability to them to deal with a variety of teams like a, a player like Ryan Yates yesterday who was all over Chelsea's midfield and, and I think got the better of Chelsea's midfield in the end once as career went off but It it just, unfortunately, like as much as you want to praise Zachary and think, oh, actually, this guy could be, as I say, a bit of a revelation in the second half of the season. He could offer something Chelsea have been lacking for so long. um, It kind of just uh, demonstrates what has been missing for that time as well, unfortunately. And as I say, you know, it's positive and I I hope we use use him to the best of his capabilities. and, And I think there's like a 34, 35 million option to buy from Juve at the end of the season, which could be triggered, but, you know, when you look at potentially Enzo Fernandez coming in, when you look at what we're spending to bring in Andre Santos as a fu- future player, Carnegie uh, Chukameku who came on later. I mean, Chelsea do have options in the future. And I do agree with you. It was confusing thinking because, you know, he was brought in as very much an emergency yeah. deadline day signing. He wasn't, you know, this wasn't a player that was seriously targeted throughout the summer. Um, it may work out for Chelsea. But I, I, I think it, again, just stresses the, the the problems we've had in in kind of planning what the central midfield is and what we've lacked there. But positive for him. I'm happy he's getting minutes. And it's good for a player who's, who actually hasn't had a lot of football this season. He actually looks so ready for it, which is, which is a positive.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And let, let's just hope he can continue it. Because, you know, we know that midfield is an area with a lot of players battling various finishings. Daniel, we kind of praise the at attack. Before we go on to questions, we kind of praise the attack, you know, especially that first half against um, Bournemouth. But against for it, it was kind of just similar. I'll give credit to Pulisic again. I thought he he, he was quite lively. He ran at people. He was direct. I thought Ziyech when he came on it was encouraging. And I guess, but one point I want to talk about, and it's not just Spaceman. Based, based people will kind of, why well, I'm quite a man, and we'll probably go on to him in a bit. But Kai Havertz, we praise him for how good he is against Bournemouth. We say what a great game it is. And then against Nottingham Forest, it kind of just feels like I just kind of watched him. I just, oh, well, you're just out there, you're just getting your, you know, you've recommended ten thousand steps a day. He just kind of he strolled around, he wasn't involved. I don't remember anything. You know, he's kind of involved in the goal, i.e. forcing Bodie to like flick onto his or bring, you know, flick onto a bar, you know, pressure with Bodie if it comes up early, etc. But I don't really remember him. Like, aside from, you know, having some small part to play in the goal just by being in sort of in that general position, I do not remember anything. From Kai Havertz, and we can get on to to Mason Mount afterwards as well, who's in general been just I think a bit disappointed for Chelsea this season. But Kai Havertz, I guess this is just for frustration around him. You can see a one really good game, but there's no consistency. It doesn't get backed up, mm. and he obviously needs a bit more help and support when he gets. You know, in general, you know, we struggled. The midfield struggled yesterday. And they've got to sort of get the ball to him. But it's just one of those things we we faced with Kai Havertz that yeah, he'll score a goal. He'll show us why he's really highly rated. We'll show him why there's a lot of potential. And why a lot of people. Think highly of him and think he can be this next big star, but he just doesn't—he doesn't show it consistently enough, does he?
0: No, he doesn't, and that—that's the big frustration, isn't it? That I think that there is a, a quality player there. There is someone who quite clearly has has the ability to do big things for Chelsea, as we've already seen in his in his Chelsea career. I wouldn't really go at Kai yesterday. I've got to be honest. I I I think my problem yesterday was that as you pointed out the the lack of control we had in that second half naturally like there are obviously things that those three players up top can do when they receive the ball holding onto it a lot better winning their physical battles being able to bring others into play that's you know it's just because you're against the momentum of a game is going against you that doesn't mean that the three players up top and especially the center forward who's such a key part of that can just go well we can't do anything but there also is a Is a very realistic thing of you need to have control of the ball particularly with the way Chelsea play you know we're not that direct of a side we don't the way we we try and build up is very much through short passing It, it kind of has been for several years now whether you think that's the right way of doing things whether you think that's the wrong way of doing things that is quite clearly the way Graham Potter wants Chelsea to play so when you don't have that and particularly with Kai Havertz you know he's playing kind of this centre-forward slash force-nine row, I want to call it, where he is kind of rotating in and out. But I think part of the problem yesterday was that he was dropping deeper, but then the lack of bodies we had in kind of central areas to kind of fill the space that he vacated was was a massive problem for Chelsea when we were trying to build up attacks as well. And I think that comes from again it's always difficult for me to kind of balance you know player responsibility versus tactics and what the coaches is is it a coach problem you know that's always a, a big thing because you know we flip back a couple of days against Bournemouth when everything's flowing very well and you know we can give praise to pot we can give praise to the player so I've been very critical cut habits I wouldn't say yesterday was was one of those that I'm really pointing out and saying you know you were awful this game but I I still do think and I I think on a more positive thing, what we saw against um, Bournemouth is I had a lot of uh, discussions with people earlier in the season that were telling me that it's a position thing with Kai Havertz. And if we just play him as a number 10, everything will be sorted. And I completely disagreed because I've seen him play well for Chelsea as a centre forward. And I don't think it's that, I think it's down to player performance and what he does when he's on the pitch as as you've demonstrated and, and why you're frustrated by it. And I completely agree. Um And and as well, if if people always bring up Germany, I'm like, (laughs) the differences between where he plays for Chelsea and where he plays for Germany, I don't think are that drastic. I really don't. I I don't think they're massively different um, to an extent where you can say, oh, you know, Chelsea, why Chelsea doing this? Why Chelsea doing that with him? Um, Again, if you don't have control of the ball, particularly with the type of player Kai Havertz is, he's not a, um, I, I don't think he's a player that, I think he's a player that very much is someone that needs the players behind him to the, the the control of the game has to be in Chelsea's favor. I I don't think he's a player who has the characteristics and the capability to take things like an Eden Hazard and change things on a dime. I don't see that with Kai Havertz yet in his career. I think the game has to be going in Chelsea's favor and and Chelsea have to be passing the ball well and kind of being a good rhythm behind him for him to play a better game. And unfortunately when that's not happening I think he very easily gets lost, and you can make that accusation at quite a few Chelsea attackers. Really, that when the, when the momentum of the game isn't in Chelsea's favour, when things aren't going well, we don't have the mentality or the quality. You could argue on the ball to change those things, and that's a real problem.
1: Yeah, because obviously I know there will be a lot of people frustrated against someone like Raheem Sterling's performance yesterday. Got the goal, but again, aside from that, I say aside from a goal, but aside from from being in the right place, score the goal. What did he? What did he do? Daniel Mason Mount, he's probably a person I've actually been fairly not very vocal on this season, just purely because I think there's been probably bigger issues and more glaring issues than someone like Mason Mount. But at the same time, we have eyes. And as much as we love Mason Mount, we also know that he has not performed at the level we know he's capable of, but we'd expect from him. And there are probably, obviously, we know there's the dissenting voices who who look for anything, you know, to to find wrong in him. But Mason Mount is probably one of those players who is... Probably now, perhaps rightly going to be more in the limelight just because he is not performing the way he like, we would like. And he is one of Chelsea's key men, whether he is one of those players he is involved. I think he was the only player. I think I saw a stat yesterday, which again could be wrong, but I think he's the only player to be involved all of Chelsea's 23 matches they played in all comps of the season, whether that be starting or coming off a bench. So, without you know, that's that he is clearly a key player, but it is just one of those. Yesterday, just again, seen one of those games where. I am not want to say passed him by, but he just was not really involved. He seemed to get, you know, frustrated quite easily. Obviously, there's, you know, obviously that tackle, basically, which he did not put in, but, you know, got the Nottingham first fans sort of raging and going against him and the chance of a Derby reject, which is, again, quite, quite an interesting charm when you try to think of it in the logical sense. But Mason Mount doesn't need to be, like, a really serious, deep conversation on I mean, him, but it's just one of those things. Are you, are you slightly concerned, given how, what we've, what we've seen in Mason? Obviously, last season, I think we'd all say, in terms of his general performance, it probably was not as good as what we saw in 2021, but he added the goals and the assists to his game. So you were kind of like, well, his maybe general levels maybe dropped a little bit, but those levels were so, so high. He was performing at a world-class level for, for six months, so it's kind of understandable. And he had the goals and the assists to sort of back it up. And obviously, he got his goal against Bournemouth the other day, but then again, he, but then he's quite sort of against Forest. Is, is, are you slightly... You, I guess are you at all worried kind of what you're seeing with Mason Bet? You're kind of worried about the amount of games we, you know, we've subjected him to, specifically early on in his career. I remember mentioning on his podcast, I think probably I think before the start of last season, I said, I want Chelsea to become less reliant on Mason Mount. And mm-hmm. that has not been the case uh, in the time since he's played an awful lot of games. Are you at all kind of worried with with kind of what you're seeing with, with Mason right now? And obviously, there's the talk, you know, he's not signed a new deal. Um that, that is kind of another thing that kind of just lingers on potentially of a background whether he signs it or not you know you'd think at this point giving the form it might actually be quite good for him to, mm. to sort of sign this deal now but just your thoughts and feelings on Mason Mounts probably a discussion we've not had on this podcast uh because I've not really felt it to be a bigger issue and I think there's been more glaring issues particularly in some games of Mason Mount but in just terms of a general point of where we find Chelsea this point of the season Mason Mounts probably been for a player we rate highly and expect a lot of he's been probably one of Chelsea more disappointing performers.
0: Yeah, I had a, a sort of an extended conversation on my podcast with uh, Jay. Um, I, I don't mind on uh, on Twitter about this, and you know, he was sort of saying his big concern is kind of positioning of Mason Mount in recent years as kind of undertook, or he very much got moved forward into kind of this inside forward role, and kind of his his, his uh, use in the team, and and kind of his. Part of Mason Mount's strength, like a lot of the young players who come through Chelsea's Academy, is their versatility, is is the fact that you can play them in, in a variety of positions and they can give a a decent level of performance, they a professional level of performance. And that very much leads into when you when you think about Mason Mount's what people think about Mason Mount generally. It is off the ball work and that really hasn't helped his development in the sense that he hasn't been getting on the ball. He hasn't been developing as a, as a 10 or a player who's who's creating a lot. And we know when he can get on the ball, he can very much be that player for Chelsea. And I do like the fact that if we're moving back into say a four, three, three shape or a four, two, three, one, you very much then have the scope to play Mason a bit deeper as that eight where apparently he wants to play as a Chelsea player. And that may be Adam Newsom was telling me that uh, on my podcast that that was yeah, maybe part of the reason of of the contract not going that well is that you know he maybe wants some assurances that he's going to play in a role that's going to suit his development in coming years, and he hasn't been playing well. And it's I don't know. I I know I'm I will get uh, uh, you know accused of um, being a bit of a hypocrite, but you know compared to other players, I criticise as you just pr- pointed out when he got to a high level and he has performed so consistently in recent years as a young player. He has had to take the burden, I think, of a lot of things that maybe he shouldn't have as a young player. Then that's not the fact that he isn't a good player and that it was bad for him to be as good as he was for Chelsea uh, earlier in his career. I just wonder if, you know, maybe having all of that responsibility so early on hasn't really helped when things have gone badly. You know, he hasn't been able to kind of slowly develop. It's kind of, it was kind of a massive shoot up in his first few years. And now it's gone a little bit like that. You know, it, it. I think he's struggling to kind of know what's the next step for him. How how can he develop? And he's playing in a Chelsea team where there isn't a lot of inspiration from senior figures. That that's a massive problem too. I think for a few young Chelsea players in this squad, is that where are those senior leaders other than Thiago Silva that you're really going to rely on? Who are going to in those difficult moments really step up? And then you're constantly looking at these young players to be those ones to step up. I think Mount. The problem is, is he's really drifting through games a lot for me. Um, I think his quality of passing is, has deteriorated this season. There are a few times yesterday where he gets the ball in a good position, and just the quality of the pass just isn't good enough. And, and I know Mount probably expects better of himself. Um, maybe it's those energy levels. He has played a ridiculous, scary amount of football as a young player in recent years, and that is also a concern of mine. Is that because he's been one of those few players that you're kind of we talk about the attack. Um, And you go through the attackers, I'm talking pretty much since 2019, right? When Mount came into the team under Frank, who are the players that you, if you were to rank them and say, we've got a massive Chelsea game, who are you relying on to to have a good game? I'm pretty sure most people, if they're being logical, are going to put Mount top because he's one of the only players, and I'm not saying he's been perfect, he hasn't been consistent at all this season, but he's one of those few players that you could sort of hang your hat on. Okay, I'm going to get a certain level of performance from Mason Mount. It may be incredible, it may be where he scores two goals, it may be where he creates something, but I'm more likely to put my faith in him than I am on... All of the other players that we could list currently. And that, again, that probably hasn't helped him developing as a young player where he wants to maybe play a, a little bit more of a retracted role. He doesn't want to play as a wide player. He doesn't want to play as an inside forward. Um, so, yeah, I think he's a little bit lost at the moment. And and that that's a concern for Chelsea because there's an amazing talent there. And the difference of Rhys James is he, touch wood, Mason Mount's very durable. Um, but I think maybe stepping out of the limelight a little bit and maybe being rotated a little bit more may actually be the best thing for him. Currently, we can give other players a few more minutes in the, in this congested period of the season, and hopefully give Mount that that rest and that fire to come back stronger because as we saw against Bournemouth, that there is real quality there. And and anyone who thinks differently, I, I don't think should be listened to. There is quite clearly a very, very good player there. He just isn't having a good season. And I don't think it's, it's silly to to point out, because I think, as you said, most people can see that, right? He's, he's not at the levels that we expect from him.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. As we saw against Bournemouth, we did see those, those kind of positive, like he particularly, I think, you see that pass he puts in for Kai, which I then think leads to ended up Pulisic's disallowed goal, et cetera. And we see, the impact he sort of has in that game. And there will be games, and there are no doubt games. We saw him in the season. He only played 45 minutes of the San Siro, walked away with man of a the match. Very obviously is a player there, and he has performed at some good levels season, but he's clearly not. His levels are clearly probably, probably on par, probably his worst season as a Chelsea player. No shame in saying that. He's played a lot of football. He's probably played too much football, certainly played more football than he should have. And I said there's been an over reliance in which I don't think it's helped that again, he has been poor. He also probably needs to take, respons- really take responsibility to up. But he's Mason Mount. He he won't hide behind it. He kind of knows that. He know he knows. So that's why probably why there's not been a huge honest Mason Mount chat, just because there's probably like a there's a calmness and there's assuredness in him and, and belief in him, you know, from us that, you know, he will he can and will get back to his best. But there's no doubt that he has been been pretty poor. We're gonna move on to listener questions now. And then we can't kind of talk about the senior figures. This question comes in from Harrison. Considering the performances of some of the senior players today in the past games, how would you line up for the game against Manchester City on Thursday? I guess this just gives us a chance to to maybe pick pick a lineup. But one thing I will say in terms of senior players, I'm putting I'm starting Trevor Chalabar. I'm I'm bringing him in. Kaldu kobali We've not spoken about really on this podcast. He's been but he's probably against Bournemouth when I thought everyone was pretty solid. He was probably one of the shakier ones we saw on the pitch that day. And Against Nottingham Forest twice, so yesterday, twice I think it was a 1e8, kind of got past him, and Kudubai's like, Nope, I'm not, yeah. you know, he's kind of like, I'm not keeping up with you, I don't really want to be you know, be involved with this. And it's one of those things with body we signed uh, a 30 plus year old four year deal, etc., uh, a bump contract, and it's kind of one of those things we've not really got what we'd have. Hope from Kulibari. I guess maybe the people, the, the Kulibari we signed was, we, we thought the game was maybe the Kulibari of a few years ago, not the current Kulabali now. I think that was maybe a lot of fans' perception. But I think he is a player who we could probably, you know, I don't think it would hurt to see be out of the lineup for a bit, particularly given how Trevor Chalabar has been pretty, pretty solid, you know, for Chelsea whenever he stepped in, whether last season or this season. In general, it does seem Trevor Chalabar's absences from the team have seen a tiny bit old, given he was in the team just before, uh, you know for a long period just before the world cup and didn't really put much of a foot wrong. And then he's immediately out of the team again for, for a couple of games. So I'm guessing obviously we'll get into a team to see, but quickly, would you kind of just bring Trevin in and think he probably deserves a bit of run in the team?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think Trevor Chavez once again, has been one of Chelsea's better players this season, uh, like he was last year. And it's, again, it's a little bit like the, the Tuggle thing. It's like, you know, he just, he gets out of the team and it's just bizarre why that is the case. Um, Particularly if you're playing a back two, as we've said, with uh, Koulibaly and Silver, the lack of speed in that area is is a massive concern. And with no Rhys James, it's an even bigger concern. Um, So, yeah, I'd probably have Silver if if he's going to stick with the 4-3. And, and to be honest, at this point of the season, I'm kind of leaning more in the direction that Potter is a flexible coach, but. I'd like to see him persist with this, but once again, the problem is 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 against a team as good as Man City who've perfected that formation. Is it the best idea? I I think he may lean in the direction that he goes to a three for three, which he played against them in the league cup. All right. It will probably be a a, a different lineup, a better lineup than we faced against them in in the league cup back in November, but it seemed to actually work quite well. I think Chelsea were able to get the ball and, and counter on city quite well that night. Um, and it's a formation I think the current group of players know quite well. So he may go into that. But absolutely, Chalaba should be back in this team. And if you're going to play a back two, it has to be Silver and Chalaba for me. I think, you know, Chalaba's just, he's got the speed. He's he's in a better form than Koulibaly this season. And, you know, again, we've handed him a new contract. And, you know, you, Badia for Fana, there's there's a lot of players being brought in. And again, we're sort of asking the question, how are all these players going to fit in in the upcoming years? And that, that's a very valid concern. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. Chalibur's one that I would be bringing in. I, would, I wouldn't I would mind seeing Hakim Ziyech be given a start, given what I saw against uh, Nottingham Forest. I think there's a player quite clearly motivated there and um, probably compared to, say, Raheem Sterling against his former club, I, I think Ziyech probably deserves a start. Um in central midfield, it again, it's such a big, it's such a big problem. It really is. Who who do you play as a six? Subban and Jorginho in in the current system? Because I know people will say you play Gallagher, you play, if you bring in or you play Mateo Kovacic. But I, I don't, I didn't like seeing Gallagher and Kovacic as as a as a pair there because yeah. neither player, just, you know, Gallagher just, has.
1: Just quickly, has be, that was. I don't. I lo- on this podcast, I'm been big on come Gallagher. You know when he had that stinker against Leicester, I was like, give him time, give him time. I'd say that cameo I saw yesterday, I kind of put that up there with the Z-H at Zagreb and Pulisic at Southampton. That was just quite, quite messy. And there was a moment with Kovacic, within about five seconds, and I'm sure this clip is on Twitter, Kovacic has two chances to pick a pass, hits them both both, uh, at a Forest player, uh, and the attack dies. It was just a bit frustrating. And yeah, anyway, sorry, just to interrupt, just continue where you are.
0: Yeah, Gallagher did play actually a really nice pass in like the dying seconds of the game to Bamiang, I think it was. You know, Chelsea played it round quite patiently. But yeah, I think over the course of 90 minutes against a really good team like Man City, I I just get the sense that Potter may just go back to 3-4-3, but it's difficult for him without, you know, some of his key players uh, fit. I think Kovacic will probably start. I do. I think he'll come into the team now. Unfortunately, I think that may mean that Zakaria goes out of the team. Uh, which is a bit of a shame because I think based on performances, he probably should start. And if you do start a double six, Zakaria Kovačić maybe is the double six. Um, probably, you know, in the current formation, I. It's just it's really difficult to know, and and I think that that's such a problem at the, at the current point, and it's a problem I've I've faced, you know, covering Chelsea in recent years. Is you get to these points in the season where you're just looking around the squad for inspiration and you're looking around the squad and going, well, who am I going to rely on this week to, to bail us out and and particularly against an opposition as good as Man City. My problem with playing the three for three is I just, I think that, you know, you're forced into it because it, of the level of opposition, but also the, the type of form Chelsea are in is that I I think that it's uh, maybe a bit more of a reactive move, but it, it could work out well for Chelsea against Man City. You have to accept that they're an elite team and, they're going to cause Chelsea problems, particularly with Erling Haaland, who's could bang like 40 goals this season. So for one game, I think you can accept it, but it, it's not exactly the 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 way I want to see Chelsea going in in the future for sure. Um, and the Forest game, that, that's what makes the Forest game so frustrating to me, is that if we would have got a positive result of Forest, I think that I was saying to someone recently, and I think we both agreed that if we beat Forest and Bournemouth, I think some people could expect, except I know some people wouldn't accept it, but some people would accept maybe losing to City narrowly, but playing the 4 and continuing to develop that formation. The problem is now because we've had the performance against Not- Nottingham Forest, I think everyone like myself will start thinking, well, you know, the faith in that system. And it's this typical Chelsea thing, right? We don't stick out with things that often. We just go, let's just think about the result for the next game rather than actually developing a system that's going to last us for for a long time. And, who plays in that system. Sorry for the, It's just, it's an awful answer, yeah. but I think it's what most people are feeling out there. There's a confusion, right? There's a confusion of where Chelsea are going. What's our identity? Who are the players that we're going to be relying upon for the rest of this season? And I don't think I could be blamed for being confused at this point, based on what I've seen so far this season.
1: Yeah. And just on your point about Forrest, if we win yesterday, we're on 27 points. We're seven. We're one point behind Liverpool who are in form. We're three points behind Spurs who are seemingly starting to, to implode under, under Conte. And then, we're, you know, when we're five points off fourth spot on Man United. And the picture does look, although still far away, it just looks a bit different. And we would have had two wins in a row. And then going into the City game, you know, I think there's probably an expectation that we are underdogs. We are likely to to, to lose that game. But there's still something and there's some more positive feeling, whereas now you're going into that City game, you're like, well, really, a, def- a loss here in it. And, it. and it's almost, it's fatal in a way. And that's just the position Chelsea... Find themselves in the as for Harrison's question. I guess, Dan, simple question if we go to a back three, because we talked about three or four, if it's a four, I'd imagine that the, the team, the back four is we go for it is the same bar Chalabar in for Kudabari, given that oh, we'd imagine Kukarelli starts left back. And as much as we bemoan as for like quite a playing right back, he will be playing right back. And even if it's and if it's a back three, I'd imagine if the team would be the same bar, obviously, uh, then just Chalabar coming in to be one of those defenders. And then the midfield, if it, it's a uh, if it's a uh, whether it's a two or a three, two of those, we've probably got Kovacic and Jorginho, and then it's question of maybe Zakaria or, or Mount in the three. And then up front, I'm guessing it's, it's Haberts, given that he seems to be given the nod up front. And I guess that probably is also quite telling of, of a Bamiang that he finds himself where he finds himself in that general signing. Hakim Ziyech, we kind of, I think, said deserves an opportunity based on what we saw. And also given that he did have a pretty good World Cup, there should still be hopefully some good feeling for that. And, an idea of wanting to impress and wanting to show, you know, why he should be in the team. And then I guess, given what we sort of demand, do we then give Christian Piusic an opportunity for a third starting row? Given that he's like, he's been fairly bright in these two games, nothing exceptional, but fairly bright. And for a player who, who we pro- who's probably come under a lot of criticism, he's not really had the opportunity for a significant run of games under a manager since Frank Lampard trusted him. Mm-hmm. So is this the opportunity, given some of the platform of certain players to maybe go Christian, you know what, have another game and then, it's actually, you know, Z-etching for, for Sterling, said Someone we're looking
0: at. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Pulisic. I don't think Pulisic was amazing against Forrest. Um, I was kind of annoyed with his kind of involvement in the Serge Aurier equaliser. The way he kind of, I mean, I know he got slightly hit in the face, but the way he just kind of turned away and looked at the, it never looks good to me when a player does that. Um, and I know that's a small thing. He did cross the ball that led to the opening goal. And it was a good ball as well. Like it was, a, it was a well-whipped ball with his with his right foot and he had a good World Cup left wing in a 4-3-3 was his best, was what we saw with the best form at Chelsea, you know, under Frank Lampard um, or similar. I think Frank may have moved to a, was he playing a 4-3-3? He may have been playing a 3 3 but we know left wing is, is where you're going to play Christian Pulisic and where you're going to get the best out of him. And, you know, I do agree that, yeah, especially speed on the counter, where Chelsea are probably not going to have a lot on the ball. We saw it against Man City in November, how well he played, and that night he played Pulisic and Ziyech as the as the two wingers. Uh, Lewis Hall could play as a left wing back in this game, uh, which which would be interesting. I think it'd be nice to see again. Um, you know, as a back free, maybe he plays. You either play the problem is you play Aspelacquay as a right centre back, and who do you play as a as a right wing back,
1: yeah. or do
0: you do the thing where you play? As Blaqueta as kind of a right-back, but he mainly stays back in it and, and mainly it will be a back three because Chelsea won't have a lot of the ball and you play Ziyech as kind of that hybrid right-wing back-slash-right-wing player on the night. That's maybe... We saw that at this time actually last season with, with Thomas Tuchel. Um, that maybe be what you're forced into because the worst thing, I, I don't want to see another game where Chelsea at Stanford Bridge, the mood will be just terrible if Chelsea just don't do anything in attack and we just sit back and wait for a 1-0 defeat. You know, I, that will create a worse mood, I think, around the ground than Chelsea going at Man City a bit more because, you know, and, and trying to actually take the game to the in moments. I'm not saying that Chelsea should be going out there and stupidly committing 11 men forward, you know, just 10 men forward and trying to overwhelm City. But City have not been amazing this season. You know, they have had weirdly, despite having probably the best striker in world football. They've had some dodgy results and we saw that against Everton. You know, that was a game again where you think they're going to really dominate. Uh, it did take a moment of uh, of amazing quality from Demario Gray and City missing some chances. Um, but they, I'm not going to call them fragile because that's a stupid thing. I still think City will probably win the league. Um, but there are going to be opportunities for Chelsea. And again, it just comes down to who's going to finish those chances. And, and I hope that Potter, if he plays a 3 for 3 or he plays a 4-3-3, I just hope that the players show up and show some fight and just show some some dedication and i know again i sound so kind of basic and kind of uh simple with that analysis but i think it's what chelsea fans want to see right you want to see some inspiration you want to see some hope that this team can still achieve things whatever that is this season um and not kind of be resigned to this kind of very depressing second half of the season and um and i also think with potter with the players this is an amazing opportunity if we beat man city on thursday the mood of the club radically shifts. You know, there is no way around it. It it would be a huge moment in Graham Potter's career. Um, and that's still from a positive perspective. That's the way they got to look at it. You know, that's where I think Potter's got to look at it. It will get Chelsea fans on side massively. Um, no matter all the negativity, if we beat Man City, it will be our first big win of the season against a big side. it be the first time in a while. I think we've beaten a big side as well, like a big Premier League opposition. And... I think it would give everyone such a big lift uh, that this club has needed pretty much since the start of the season, pretty much since the start of 2022, because there haven't been many of them. So I'm going to be optimistic and say that that's what it should be. It should be seen as that opportunity. We've got two games against Man City where there is the opportunity to create that kind of momentum that I think we all need, the club needs desperately at this point. But it's that's 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 kind of um, that's nice fantasy thinking from me. That you know that there is still a very very good side and an amazing coach on the other side that is obviously going to maybe bring us a harsher reality, which unfortunately over the past year is, has been too regular at Chelsea, where it makes us all feel a little bit more depressed.
1: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure an angry fired-up City is necessarily who we want <laughs> next up, but we shall see. Next question comes in from Sean. Thoughts on our Jan fixture. Do You guys see us getting any points that low wins? I mean, Dan, January. It could be interesting. We have Manchester City on Thursday. We've then got Manchester City away in the Cup on Sunday. We've got Fulham away on Thursday, the twelfth of January, which is, you know, looked like a tough game at the start of the season when it was originally meant to be played. It's gonna look like a tough game now. Crystal Palace at home on Sunday, the 15th of January, a team that we have a very good record against, and we do tend to always find a way to win. And then Liverpool away, a 1230 job on Saturday, the 21st of January. I mean, I'm being brutally me being brutally honest, though, I see three losses. I see two of those to Manchester City and one of those to Liverpool. I do caveat Liverpool with that I do think they are gettable. I think it would not shock me or surprise me if we got something there, given what I've watched of Liverpool this season. But it does feel that Liverpool are slowly maybe starting to get some sort of momentum together, even if they're not playing great. I'd say Crystal Palace is the one game I'm fairly confident we'd win because Chelsea just tend to beat Crystal Palace. And then Fulham away could honestly be anything. Despite our recent, our pretty good record against them, Fulham have probably surprised a lot of people this year, and that's going to be a very tough game. As I will have a lot of energy um, against us, uh, but just sports feelings, I've probably got, I've, I've got a third round exit, losses to City and Liverpool, a win against Palace, and I'll optimistically say a scrappy win at Fulham but I and that could easily be a, a draw. Uh, and with that, the mood's probably not going to be much better than it is currently right now, um, but just sports feelings on, on the January pictures.
0: I'm going to go with uh, seven points. Now, I'm not quite sure where those two wins are going to come from. Looking at them, I'd say Fulham and Crystal Palace is where the wins should be coming. And then I think... Yeah, I think Man City probably do win... uh, the, the, The FA Cup one is very hard for me to guess because FA Cup's weird. It's going to be both rotated sides. And as we saw in the League Cup game, Chelsea could have won that game. So... I think there is a chance Chelsea win the FA Cup game just purely based on chaos vibes, effectively. That's the only reason it's just it's because it's the Cup, right? But City do take the Cups pretty seriously as well. Um, yeah, Fulham, as you say, uh, yeah, Fulham, I can just see it now. It's a Thursday game and it's a bit like the Forest one where Chelsea just are outdone physically. And we may not lose the game. We may actually draw the game. But it's another one of the forest type of games where Chelsea maybe score early, but then can't withhold the momentum. Um and that's a real problem. I I as you say Liverpool, it's it's weird. I mean, it is a it's a game at Anfield against a big team. They usually get up for those. It's usually a very awkward place to go to. I think there could be a point there. I do it's a 1230 kickoff compared to say a four pm on a Sunday. Um but I understand why people are looking at this fixture list and and, and going for free losses. I really do. And, and you know, Fulham away. Palace at home, you know, I'm relatively confident, as you say, we have a good record against them. And Palace at this point in the season usually go for a bit of a dip. They usually start the season quite well, and then they go for a dip and then they find form just to kind of keep themselves safe. Um, there should be, for me, at least six points in those games for me. I think Chelsea should, should still be aiming to beat Fulham and Palace six points of in there and then anything else I guess is a bonus. Um, but I'd say, you know, as I said in my previous answer about how big these, how big this month could be for Graham Potter positively or negatively. You know, if you go to Anfield and win, that is a landmark win in any Chelsea season. If you beat Man City at home, that is a landmark win in any season. They have to be looking at this, this fixture list as an opportunity as much as it is a, the, the players can't and, and the club, Internally, could not be looking at this month with dread because nothing's good. Nothing good is going to come. The fans are allowed to do that naturally, and Chelsea fans naturally do that anyway. But it, it's it's tough to know at the moment. Against Forest, it, it you know it's all gone wrong, and and I think that a lot of us are kind of feeling very uh, negative um, about the upcoming month, and I understand why.
1: Yeah, yeah, indeed. Obviously. With these games, there is the opportunity that Chelsea's position or Chelsea hoping for top four will have, I think, a lot clearer perspective on Chelsea's realistic chances of top four come and Jan, given two of these games are against, you know, sides who will be, certainly one who will be in the top four, one going for time, one who you'd imagine, given the way variant, could well be top four. So the next question comes in from Harry. Chelsea are currently seven points off top four. What decisions changes would you make between now and the end of the season to secure UCL football? Dan, I'm just going to kind of, before we get on to this change thing, before you, because Harry's kind of focuses on, on top four football, and for a long time, I think it's been ingrained, certainly not just not just for Chelsea fans, but in sort of English football, the battle for the top four, getting Champions League football, it's seen as this really big, important thing. And the Champions League is a brilliant competition. We want to be in it. You play the best sides in Europe. It's a lot of fun. But do we kind of need to, just think of this moment, kind of just forget about kind of worrying about top four and realistically because one of the things people go about getting top four is it allows you to sign all these brand, you know, fancy players, etc. But we've kind of got top four for a number of years, signed all these players. We've not really progressed. We've not really gone in a direction we need. to So I will answer, I guess that is question afterwards. But is in general, is this kind of obsession with top four? Is it is it one? Is it perhaps slightly unhealthy? And is it one that actually is probably not the worst one to kind of just sort of almost not worry about this season, given the state we are in, given the transitional stage Chelsea are in, new owners, etc. to kind of almost go, you know what? Top four is probably not really important. Now, if we can get it, if we somehow get it, great. But it should not really be some big miss out. It should not be some big thing that defines us if we miss out, et cetera.
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of like, in a way it's become kind of the, that thing of like the trophy thing each year of like, Oh, we win a trophy. Cause it's just that thing we can say, Oh great. We we've got a season with some form of success and, and achievement, but then we don't, as you say, we don't actually progress anywhere like that, that achievement or that, that just status in the champions league, even winning the thing hasn't massively moved the club forward in, in a dramatic way. And that, that in itself is a problem. And I am of the belief that like there, there have been things that Chelsea just haven't like been facing in recent years uh, of kind of the short term boom and bust type of thing, and and it's why you know Arsenal got mocked for several years for not being in the Champions League. They're they're almost guaranteed to get it this year, and they may you know be seriously competing for the Premier League title. They are seriously competing for the Premier League title at the moment, and and that a lot of that was was going away, rethinking their strategy, rethinking what they're doing, clearing out players that didn't want to be there anymore, starting to form the basis of a squad that. The coach, Mikel Arteta, could trust and grow and develop a system that, and and ways of playing that were repeatable, and and players that he, as I say, were trust, were trustworthy, were consistent, and um, has now built the basis of the sport and the performances you're seeing now in what is a chaotic season for everyone. So that's in itself is impressive. I don't think Chelsea fans won't accept that because A, the money was spent like B, the the players, the profile players we brought in who have been playing Champions League football and C, also just the, the recent success of the club as is, is ingrained and, and made people believe that that should just be the consistent thing each year. and But I do think there is a realistic discussion to be had of and it sounds kind of productive, it sounds stupid. Just going for that dopamine hit each year, whether it's a trophy or whether, as you say, is a top four, has it actually progressed Chelsea or do Chelsea... Is it better for Graham Potter for the rest of the season? Focus on starting to build the basis of a squad that he can trust in years to come. Um, and that may mean not getting top four, but that may mean a, in a year or two's time, having a better team that you can trust that isn't going to go through these dramatic drops each year and us having to rebuild the squad and spend even more on in the transfer market to buy more players to make up for the mistakes of previous years. Um, I don't get the sense people want that though. So I, I, you know, I think that's a difficult thing. And I actually think the the message that's going to be sent, even if it isn't the message internally, the message is being spent, uh, being sent by all this money in the January window, is that Chelsea want Champions League football. That at least is what I'm getting from it. It's saying we want to invest in the team right now because Enzo Fernandez and Badia Shile players that I suspect come in, especially Enzo Fernandes for that price, comes in and instantly goes into the first team. You know, these are not players that, like with Fafana and Santos and Selina that are definitely for the future. You were bringing in players to hopefully impact things for the next six, six months. So, I don't know. I think it's it's a massive question. And Chelsea and, and Potter needs this season. They need this season to finish positively. They need, the, you know, for people to buy into the process or... Whatever this is, Chelsea can't just phase out into like an eighth place finish because the mood is just going to be so bad by the point. You know, it could be it's going to be bad before then, probably, as we know with with the way the club has been in recent years.
1: Yeah. So, to Harry's question, what decision changes would you make between now and the end of the season to secure UCL football? I mean, then in terms of the transfer market, we're seemingly going for it, so that is one way to, I guess, address it. But also, just your kind of point is it, and we've made is it also is this maybe the season where you go? There's not actually anything we necessarily can do because this Chelsea malaise has been going on a while. I think even you look at the, it's going to be one of those stats that people hate because it's not a you know the league table for a season. It's the league table for a calendar year. But Chelsea in 2022 compared to the likes of Spurs, Arsenal, Liverpool, City, you know Arsenal, Newcastle, etc., probably you know maybe even Man United or, or maybe not United, but those teams they had significantly more points in the calendar year than Chelsea. So Chelsea had kind of been. I think Chelsea on that table were maybe sixth or seventh in terms of points, uh, you know, accrued in the calendar year. And Chelsea are eighth in the Premier League now at this point in the season. Is it kind of one of those where ultimately I'm not actually sure whatever decision changes mate, I'm not sure what decision changes can be made. Because when we had this previous more experienced coach, there did not seem, there did not look to be like this magical solution that he was going to come up with to get us mm-hmm. in, into the Champions League. Well, we we lost three three times in the space in space of 17 days to lead Southampton and Dean Mozagreb. We didn't look you know great for we looked good in maybe one game of the start of the season under the previous coach. So is it one of those things where actually I'm not sure there is a decision change to secure Champions League football? It's time, as I kind of mentioned earlier about this obsession trouble, just rip the bandaid off completely, mm. and it will be painful. And that's maybe where we'll get into the next question about process. But it's maybe one of those where you go, actually, I. You know, obviously, we'll see where the end of January is. If we've got, if we win all our games in January, the situation looks a lot different. If we beat City and Liverpool, then it will look a lot different. But is it maybe one of those where if we do not win those, we actually go, you know what? Champions League is done. But as you said, we kind of, we do not, because it feels on I remember there's still like this almost trying to appease senior players and trying to fit and trying to, you know, still work with a lot of these players. And actually, he's probably got to be stricter and harsher. And maybe it's not the best example. You look at Eric Ten Hag at Man United, Ronaldo, goodbye. Rashford miss, you know, oversleeps for a meeting. Boom, you're on the bench. Okay, come, you back on. Is it maybe where Potter needs to actually just sort of, if we kind of accept the top four going and he's got this all this backing from the ball, they've got this structure behind him. We've got these, you know, players coming in, we're kind of building a team around him. But he actually then, instead of we go, there's not a decision to make top four, Potter in this period steps up and goes, this is where I'm going to put my stamp on the team. Because so far, and one of the criticisms we'll get, and maybe it'll lead on to a question we've got about the process is that it kind of feels like he's still trying to, I guess, manage like a whole group and not really put his full ideas across and just trying to get a tune out of the current players he's got. Do you see what I'm getting at?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that that's, that in itself it is a problem, right? Is that I think that people were struggling to click onto anything because there there doesn't seem to be a... it's a word be used a lot by identity or just, you know, an idea of, of where, you know, the club is moving and, and what you can get behind. And even if results aren't always perfect, I think one of the things that, Frank Lampard very smartly identified and and clung on to when he became head coach was, you know, bringing in a a fresh group of young players who, you know, had grown up at the club and that fans could very easily connect to. And and that was the direction. And And he played a brand of football that I think was very exciting. And obviously as a coach, he was still learning his trade and he made mistakes in Chelsea defensively were pretty woeful. Uh, but I think people were infused and excited about that, you know, the, and could see where, and it, of course he was always going to get buy in for the type of person he is and for the, the icon he is at the club. But I think the potter needs to to do some of that, right. To, to get some people on board. If you just play this kind of very reactive, the problem was with Tuchel at the end. Uh, and, 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 you know, people still think that I wanted him to, I didn't want him to be sacked. My problem with Tuchel at the end was that, and we said this on the podcast when he left, was that I felt his, what he had done at Chelsea had a, what he had done up to that point had had a clear ceiling on it, is that he'd gotten Chelsea. I think with the the kind of the very risk free, at times reactive, and um, very calculated style of football, I, I think he'd taken it as far as it could go. Um, and then it was where where do you go from there? And that was my big problem with Thomas Tuchel, and 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 I think that that's what Potter has to do. I think he has to be braver with the decision making um and and some of that is tactical for me some of that is being braver in certain games um some of it's personnel as you said of of trying younger players when you've got a Lewis Hall when you've got an Amari Hutchinson um maybe giving those players a few more minutes to see what they do um but I I I don't know what the other than just buying players I don't know what the magical thing is that's going to change Chelsea's fortunes um you Know that there isn't, I don't think there is a silver bullet, and as you've said, with with the form since the start of it's 2022, it was going downhill. Um, and and it was the same, you know, for Arsenal in, in several years under Wenger. it was going that way, and and finally they they missed out on Champions League football. There's still a long way to go in this season, and and you know, there, there still is a possibility that Chelsea could do something, um. I just think that Chelsea, and this is a minority probably view. I just think Chelsea need to to face reality and start to build back again, um, which they just haven't been doing. So I, I unfortunately, I don't have a magic answer. To, I I could look at profiles of player. I think central midfield. I think the right side of defense. Those are two that I'm absolutely looking at. I think maybe putting trust in certain players in certain positions more consistently will help. Of course, those players have to stay fit, which which is again has been a massive massive problem at Chelsea.
1: Yeah, no. Harry, also I do not think there is a solution to get Chelsea top four the current state they find themselves in. Arsenal, I think have taken everyone by surprise this year. I think we kind of saw they were going in a direction, but I didn't think. I think we thought a lot of people, including me, thought after missing out on top four in the way they did last year, given what we've seen of Arsenal previous years, would they have it in them to actually come back stronger? And they have. City, we knew would be up there. Liverpool have been poor this season, but you will probably find a way in. Newcastle have been a shock, and as it stands, Manchester United are are currently, you know. Doing some decent stuff, and then we'll see on we'll see on Spurs and us. But I do not think there is some magic solution. I think reality is we have we just have to we just have to face the unfortunate reality that we've been putting off for a long time, and we may have to suffer. And part of that suffering, Daniel, you could argue, is going through this process we're going with. And that comes into our next question from Prashant: How many more games and performances do people need to ignore before worrying about the process not working? Now, I mean, that that Daniel, I'm gonna I feel that process is gonna be one of those buzzwords that just gets thrown around, thrown around on, on online, just like standards, et cetera, and love what it actually means, And it's just gonna become sort of a meme at, at some point. But understandably. A manager has got to earn a buy-in from fans, especially when they are not, they do not have a proven track record, they do not have any real proven track record of any sort of meaningful success. And when you're at a club like Chelsea and you've fans have been sort of, I guess, ingrained this this mentality and this expectation, it's hard to shift. On the pods, I had I, I remember this episode I had with Tom Cody when we drew at Manchester United and Brentford, and I said those results are disappointing, The manner of them are disappointing. But there's something to buy into because he's bringing Carney Trickle Maker on in these games, you know, at nil nil to try and you know he trusts in him, etc. That's one way to do. It. But how many more game forms do people need to ignore? You know, For sort of worrying about the process not working. I mean, I'd say people are, are perfectly entitled to worry about it. It'd be nice if they could, you know, the negativity could just, you know, they could not, it could not just be so relentless. But at the same time, I'm not gonna sort of get, you know, particularly annoyed or, or upset by it. Cause it's just people expressing their opinion, but. Because this this is a talk, you know, we say it's it's one win in, in the last seven games in the league. It's poor form. Whatever situation Chelsea find themselves in, people are always going to say that's not good enough. That's not acceptable form. How? Yeah, just your thought, thoughts on that question for, from Prasham. How do you people ignore, how many more games do people need to ignore before worrying about press not working? Or do they just kind of go accept that? Or is this one of those where we just go, you know what, we'll question it. We'll back it, but you just back it, but we still, you know, we'll question it
0: yeah um, i don't think it's a case of just blind faith yeah. and that you're not you can't be critical you can't be objective i think my problem over the last month or so is just the unrelenting negativity about everything about chelsea it's kind of just my and particularly about the previous manager um you know every time i see a mention of him uh i my, my kind of my my feeling of kind of support in potter goes up the percentage level goes up and that may be a bit irrational, but you know he is gone. That guy is gone. Like that, unfortunately, whether people don't like it or not. And again, you can question a decision, but it's like he ain't coming back um, anytime soon. So it that that's the reality. And you are more than entitled to think it was a stupid decision to sack Thomas Tuchel. And I, that's a fair decision. Oh, that's a fair. Sorry, a point of view. Um, it, it absolutely the 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 coach needs to show a level of improvement and a again it's like a buzzword standards process he he needs to show good results you know for me in my kind of view there needs to be good performances that's what i'm interested in that's i need to see evidence of players improving under his coaching i need to see evidence of a team that look like they're moving in a certain direction that Can create good chances that can defend well, that are cohesive. You're seeing those connections within the team. To expect all of that to happen overnight is unrealistic. But Graham Potter, it has been blessed with a squad of some very, very good players. Uh, As much as people continue to, and listen, the evidence, the performances naturally make people believe that the squad isn't very good. But I know watching players and seeing what they've done at other clubs. And this is the kind of the big mystery at Chelsea of why. And I think a lot of it comes down to a lack of planning, a lack of cohesion. Why are we buying certain players, maybe points in their career where they don't feel as motivated and inspired as they did once. You can maybe make that accusation at Raheem Sterling and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang that I know people have made so far this season. Um, But he does have talented players. He does have players that should be doing more. And it's on him to prove that. You know, we, everyone brings up the Everyone brings up the examples. Now they'll add Arteta, but everyone brings up the examples of Jurgen Klopp and, and Pep Guardiola. Now these are two managers who were a better standing before they arrived at their clubs. Absolutely, you know, Pep Guardiola was already arguably the best coach in world football when he arrived at Man City. Uh, Jurgen Klopp had already won a, a title with Borussia Dortmund in incredible circumstances. You know, so it was. It, it's un, maybe Arteta is is maybe the fairer comparison, um, and Arteta went through some. Very very bad periods at Arsenal. There are periods where majority, uh, maybe it's hard to say majority, but a lot of fans wanting to be sacked. Um, you know, if you remember, he was in a relegation zone at one point with Arsenal. Can Potter boast the same? Can get the same patience because he's got a better quality of squad than Arteta did. So it, it's, I think, it was easier back then to maybe give Arteta the time than you do to to Potter because he's had more money invested. Um, on the squad I mean before he arrived absolutely but he's about to have some uh, quite a bit of money invested as head coach so they need to show a process absolutely and they, they need to show evidence Chelsea can't just lose 10 games in a row and all of us just sit around and go but it's fine you know obviously that's not the case and there, there is there is always going to become a point where if the players aren't playing for him are you going to sack 22 players are you going to sack one coach right that but as well that doesn't mean that like people have asked me this and and you know, it's 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 not the answer people want to hear. If Chelsea don't get Champions League football, should Potter be sacked? A lot of people will say yes. I know a lot of people instinctively will go, Yes, well, why did we sack Thomas Tuchel? You know, um, Champions League football should just be the thing. I'm not exactly of that way of thinking. Um, it has to be a certain thing. If we finish fifteenth and we've lost a ton of games and the mood of the club is at a low, I'm probably in a different way of thinking. If we finish sixth, and from now until the end of the season, I see progression. We get a decent cup run. We maybe get to the quarterfinal of the Champions League. I see players developing. I see some of the young players being brought in. I see evidence that there is a, a future here. And I can, I can see how this coach is going to improve these group of players over a period of time. And, and you're starting to see a bit more of an identity form and consistency and things you can cling on to a bit more. Then I'm of a different way of thinking. Um. There are extremes, right? I I, I don't think it's just you, you you have blind faith throughout anything. Um, that's obviously stupid. But there also is it is is for me very much as a fan a, a feeling of trust or just wanting to see how this how the how the project goes or how Graham Potter does at Chelsea. And I, I got a comment on my YouTube video um, after Forests, you know, saying you were so critical of, of of Thomas Tuchel. What about Graham Potter now? Yeah, I was critical of Thomas Tuchel after he was in charge for like fifteen, sixteen months. Um, you know, after he was after I saw a lot a lot of games with Thomas Tuchel as head coach. Um, so there is also a reality that Graham Potter hasn't been Chelsea coach for that long.
1: Yeah, and what I would add is that performances. I kind of just say this. We started well under Potter. Maybe, you know, some, maybe the odd fortuitous result here or there. And we suffered with injuries. We then had a pretty brutal run, whatever way you think of it. Brighton, whatever people say, that is a game we have struggled with in the past. As Daniel referenced it earlier, you remember watching a, a turgid draw there under Frank. We played them three times under Thomas Tuchel, failed to beat them, got pretty much outplayed in every single one of those games. For a side that caused us problems and other big six sides problems. We lost to Arsenal, who are... Flying this season, top of the league again. An Arsenal side that we lost to at home for previous two seasons under the previous manager. A season, you know, a we have side who we've not been at home in the Premier League since Maurizio Sarri was in charge. We then lost away at Newcastle, a side who again are flying. they have been one of the form sides of 2022. A side well who I've seen title-winning Chelsea sides go go and come unstuck against. A side that has always been pretty difficult for Chelsea sides to play against. I was pretty calm about those games. The performances in those games were not were not great. I think Brighton was probably even more concerned when given how defensively frail we were. Arsenal and Newcastle, you know, lost by lost by one goal. Okay, we didn't create much, et cetera. But I was kind of calm just given the situation. The unfortunate reality was those games were back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, which I think kind of made the situation worse. If you had them sandwiched in between some of those wins we had earlier in the season, I think the narrative would maybe be slightly different. Obviously, yesterday is bad. As I mentioned, I think that's the worst... Result under Potter so far because it's Nottingham Forest and where they find themselves in the league. People have got to be a right to be concerned because you'd expect to see some sort of improvement from what we saw under Thomas Tuchel. And besides, from the first few weeks under Grand Potter, we've not really seen that. There's obviously circumstance, there's obviously context behind that with some of the players we've got out injured. And as I mentioned, it's kind of depressing how reliant we are on one player. And Chelsea cannot be reliant on one player like they are, Rhys James. They've got to find a solution around that. But it is very early days. And as I said, what we can do about Procept, this is where I think out, as you mentioned earlier, the transfer window, one thing to tell them, but this is where I say it. he can make things that can get him in favour with fans. Again, it may be one thing, but I think going to Kai Habits, you're my man up top. Whatever word i said, and I've been critical of his performance get someone for us, going Kai Habits, you're my man up top. I'm trusting you. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who this board signed for the previous manager, i said him a week later. He's, you know, we'll see how it plays out, but he might be going, you know what? I'm not going to play him just to, you know, try and save some of your guys' bacon on, on him, on that signing. But is not in my plans. I've tried him. He's featured. He does not feature what I want. He's going to sit on my bench, and that's going to be a poor signing issue by the club. But, hey, I was not here for it. I did not sanction this signing. He's going to go, we're going to trust Kai Havertz. Maybe he can do the same in other positions. I don't know. Obviously, we're going to talk about right when back. As I said, with no Reese James, the solution is as for credit. Is he brave enough to go, you know, we're going to pull someone from from the academy give him a game because obviously the downside is and there is a strong chance he could perform worse out there than Cesar Azpilicueta could and Chelsea could get well beaten and that player could get torn apart by someone like Phil Foden etc but it also showing a statement that you're going okay it hurt in the immediacy it hurt but this is a player who I can mold and trust to play a role in the future and I think that's what he can do as well as obviously what we're doing pitch if he can show a sign of future planning and I think that can be something to get behind. Because, again, what I've seen in recent weeks is a player, who, a coach who doesn't quite know what he wants, a coach who's trying to accommodate a lot of players who probably should not, he should not be trying to accommodate. But because of the egos in the dressing room, because he's new to the job, he's trying to keep everyone on side. But perhaps there does come a point where he goes, you know what, I'm going to just maybe trust some youngsters. Again, you mentioned Arteta in that horror run he was in. They, you know, was it one win in ten or whatever? before they played us and they played us on Bucks today. And what does he do? He then trusts his youngsters. He brings in Bakaya Saka, he brings in a smith he brings in Martinelli and he drops some of his senior players in that game against us. And they worked the four of us. Obviously, at that time of the season, we were starting out our downward uh, trajectory and we were kind of rocketing towards the end of Frank. But it's just some of those decisions. Is he brave enough to maybe start a youngster, one of these talented youngsters we've got in a game, It's just something because there does need to be some sort of buying because what he does right now, he's sort of playing it safe. He's probably feels like he's kind of just moving like a lot a what a lot of other Chelsea managers have done in the past with no real sort of necessary huge long-term plan. There's obviously a little sign when he's willing to bring on someone like Carney off the bench. Obviously, the five subs does help. It's one of those things where I think he can probably, if it's not about results on the pitch, which he's going to struggle with due to maybe the squad quality we've got, there's got to be other things he can do, and that does include, for me, just being a bit braver in some of what he says. I think Daniel's mentioned earlier, Just be a little bit braver because it does feel like he's almost—he's at Chelsea, he's at a big club. It's almost like he's stuck between results and also what he wants to do. And it's Graham. If you've got the backing, if you've got the, the board building a structure behind you, getting these players for you, just fully go for it. You—you may upset some players, you may upset some senior players, but just go for it. Just be brave because if you're not brave, you're probably gonna—you're probably gonna fail without really giving it the crack at it you probably wanted to. Um
0: yeah you'd rather fail your way than fail doing something that and I I would like to think that Potter's strong-willed enough to know like and he said it publicly as well if the club's going to sack me they're going to sack me. He said it on a podcast before he got appointed at Chelsea. He knows the reality of modern football. He's not um he said you know it's it's not whether I'm a good guy or not that they're going to sack me but I would like to think that any coach at Chelsea, it's the political nonsense that has, I think, unraveled interesting things at Chelsea in the past. And I just don't want to see that anymore. Um, And, you know, appeasing players who are not going to be here beyond this season is for, yeah, I completely agree with you. If Vazpilicueta is not going to be here beyond this season, then he shouldn't be playing regularly. If Jorginho is not going to be here beyond this season, he should not be playing regularly. Um, if a is only, only going to be here a season, he should not be playing regularly. If Koulibaly, if rumours are true that he may not be here next season, shouldn't be playing regularly. Um, and again, and I think you make the fair point that sure, like it's a lot. Chelsea losing in the transfer window. I mean, yeah, breaking news. Like yeah, breaking yeah. news. Like that, that's that's a new one for me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, but the our reputation of the transfer window is so uh, uh, immaculate that us losing a few players and and us failing on a few transfers apparently like is is a massive fear for us. Yeah, sure. Um, You know, we've been, we, that, 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 that boat has as long, it's gone into the distance. It's traveled across the world. It's come back and you know, all of that stuff. That's not a concern. Yeah. I I completely agree with you that I'd like to see him because then I think there were some fans won't accept it. Some fans just want standards, results, 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 results. And a lot of it's kind of posturing and, you know, wanting to feel good and, you know, wanting to act like a big club. Um, but I think some people will buy into it rather than kind of playing 30-year-olds who aren't going to offer much to you and where it's quite clearly to accuse the club and also the coach to say, where is the process in that?
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, there's, there are things that he can do where, within his control, regardless of result, to actually show a process and show something and just trust him. Exactly. We saw, again, one of the, we lost one in Newcastle, but he starts Lewis Hall. That's something to buy into. He starts in the Carabao That's something you can buy into, giving someone like him an opportunity. It's just one of the things, it doesn't mean, you know, there's the downside that the results you could get on the pitch could be slightly worse than usual. But okay, we lose to City. But would we rather lose to City actually trying to show something for the future than just lose to City, just playing it safe and almost self-preservation? Because what is self-preservation going to do for him and his long-term standing at Chelsea mm-hmm. when eventually he's going to have to go for it anyway? You might as well just rip it off now just start now because mm. you're just then delaying what he's then just delaying what he inevitably wants to do. Uh, next question from Dan Hill for the sake of not giving into the relentless drove of ne- negative duty, but is bound to ensue after this. I'll ask this question What profile of nine do you think Chelsea would be successful for this Chelsea side, assuming Farnet is too young? Which name jumps to mind as we need goals? Because I mean, Daniel, the answer is obviously if bargain, because the obvious, because the answer after you know three years. Uh, of unsuccessful tr- attacking signings is obviously to make another
0: one. Um, I I think that, as you say, if you go in the direction of Kai Havertz, then you're looking for that type of player. But, you know, signing Christopher and I think is, is interesting because that's the type of player that could be a striker. <sighs> David Zat-Drofana, what I've heard from people who've watched him, is say he's quite a well-rounded player. Um, he can kind of, he, he doesn't really suit into, slot into one profile striker, like target man, you know, off the shoulder, false nine, he, he kind of can be a, you know, a, a different striker and 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 maybe you could offer, a, you want sort of variety of options. It's difficult to say at the current point. Um, Again, if Potter commits to Kai Havertz, and the thing is as well is, is you don't, I, I don't think you just want one type of striker. It, it would be nice to have different types of options to to rely upon. Um, if a game isn't going your your direction, I like having that option, but not too radical where then you're relying on a player. There is that that risk, right? We've had in different positions. If you're relying on a player who is counterproductive to your way of playing, if you have a striker that, as we saw of Lukaku, who doesn't press and you're a team that wants to press, there obviously is problems. So I think there is there is maybe a more general skill set that I'm looking for from a Chelsea striker. Technically, they've got to be able to 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 deal with um working in tight spaces and um, not having a lot of time on the ball. Um, I think if they've got to have a level of physicality to them, they've got a level of, of mobility to them. They've got to be able to press, work off the ball. Those are just general things. I think in terms of st- stylistic difference or way players go about things, I don't think that's a negative thing. And there isn't kind of the perfect ideal striker that we all, the perfect ideal striker is one that puts the ball in the back of the net more times than not. That's that's the striker we want, but the, the routes of getting to that type of player is is sometimes a little bit different.
1: Yeah, or if Chelsea can just find Diego Costa's long lost relative, who's ever, who's a bit younger, that would. Well, we did, be but he got less. injured
0: for the rest of the season, so that's that's the problem.
1: That's very true. But my, my dark horse shout for Amanda Broja, uh, which I made at the start of the season, has gone up in smoke. Uh a final question, which ends on a, on a on a positive note, because the the questions have sort of gone in a bit of a side next direction. What from RJ? What positives did you take from our past two performances aside from the win against Bournemouth, and why do we appear to have a drop off? In the second half of both games, I mean Daniel, as we kind of mentioned earlier, Zachariah was probably the standout positive from those two games, as well as sort of just the immaculate uh, Tiago Silva. But what what other, what maybe other positives did you say? But we maybe not discuss. And then why do you think there is, was the drop off in the second half of both those games? Because it was pretty noticeable.
0: I think the positives were the the shift to the four three three was kind of the thing I I, I like seeing that formation. I just I've wanted to see Chelsea move in that direction for for quite a few years, and um, I think it benefited some of the players. Whether it was you know Zakaria kind of playing as a nate, but then could drop a little bit deeper. I think Mount we saw it against Bournemouth. The connections we saw between Christian Pulisic, Kai Havertz, and Raheem Sterling, I think, were really encouraging. Uh, Thiago Silva is just you know is still just incredible. Um, I think that is the one positive that you still got him performing at a top level, you know, Kepper is a blagger. I think that you could maybe have some criticism of the, the goal he conceded against, uh, not in the first that it went for his legs, but you know, it was so close to him and I think he made some good saves and his positioning in the first half for Brennan Johnson's, uh, effort, I think was really good. And I think Jamie Carragher picked out that as well. Um, it, other than that, I mean, yeah, listen, I think it's very... It, the, the shame of it is, I think it's the the the, the injury to Reese James coupled with the performance at Nightingale Forest has made everyone feel very negative again. Uh, so it's very hard to pick up those positives. But there were definitely things, especially against Bournemouth, and in moments and flashes against Nightingale Forest, but that's really, you know, that's difficulty. It wasn't a good performance, and there weren't many things to really you know, cling on to. And that, that's the shame of it. Um, And I think that a lot of people will just dismiss the performance against Bournemouth now. And we're all, all of us. Uh, so I wasn't really buying into this because I think a lot of people when Bournemouth happened were going, right, it was only a good 50 minutes and then we were rubbish for the rest of it. I was rubbishing that. I was kind of like hoping that right, it's a bit of fatigue. You know, we're back into the action. They gave a lot in that first 50 minutes. I think we can be better at Nottingham Forest. But now because the Nottingham Forest performance has happened. And we've seen that drop off again without Reese James. I think everyone now has probably just gone, well, it was just a good 15 minutes and kind of dismissed that result against Bournemouth now. Um, so that that's the shame of it. But I'd say the change of formation, certain profiles, Zacharia, Pulisic, Sterling, uh, Kai Havertz, you know, we saw good things from Mason Mount. Um, But the injury to Reese James has, has obviously derailed, I think, a lot of those things that could have been worked on and, and improved upon uh, on Sunday,
1: yeah, and no, I just say as for as for the drop off, um, it's a Chelsea thing. It's you know, uh, it's just one of those things. I think we got, com- you know, we saw pattern in both games where there's a, I guess, a complacency a, or lack of fatigue, whatever. Before we end, I'm just going to give you all a rather depressing stat that I've just seen from a tweet from Adam Yushin: Reese James, Ben Chilwell, and Gola Kanté have started just one game together since December the first, 2021. Daniel, do you know the score of that? you know that game and the score of that game?
0: The, from December the first?
1: Since December the first, twenty twenty
0: one. I'm trying to th- wasn't Bencher well No, I'm trying to think that there, there would have been a game. Is it the start of this season? Is it is it this season? Everton, right? Yeah. It's Everton. First game of the season, yeah.
1: So there we go. Rather depressing you note know, to as we've talked about the you know, as we've mentioned, Reese James. And go to Kante and a little bit in this um in this in this podcast. Right. It's been a it's been a long, long podcast episode, but we did have a lot to talk to and we had some great listener questions. Thanks to you, lovely lot. Before we go, as I was doing Daniel, give yourself one final plug where people can find you and all your work.
0: Yeah, best places uh at Son of Chelsea on Twitter, Son of Chelsea on YouTube for regular Chelsea content, I'm sure covering all the madness that's going to ensue not only on the pitch, but off it with the transfer stuff this month. Uh, hopefully getting some good guests on the channel, uh, TikTok, Son of Chelsea as well. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the all the best place to find me.
1: Nice one. Daniel's links will be in the description below. As for us, one all your usual podcast platform providers, Apple, Spotify, et cetera. If you're not subscribed, just search That Chelsea Podcast, and we should come up. We're on Twitter and Instagram at That Chelsea Pod. Uh, jobs to follow if you like. Whenever I... Tweet the pod at any likes, retweets, goes on way. Just helps get it onto other people's timeline. And also you follow us there on Twitter. you can interact with the pod and you can send in questions when I put a tweet out asking for questions. Uh, A rating and review if you want. If you've enjoyed the show, leave a rating and a review. Goes on way whether you enjoyed it or whether you thought we talked complete nonsense. Always happy to to see what the reviewers have to say. Um, But until the next episode, everybody, keep a blue flag. flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network.